Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is MC Money, joined by Sutton, the creepy soccer dad, and Houstradamus. And we are joining you live here on Finsider Radio after a thrilling 20-17 win against the Atlanta Falcons this past Sunday. And boys, I'm not sure if there's anyone out there that, that thought the Dolphins would win this game. I know for one, for me, a lot of people were talking crap about the Miami Dolphins defense, and I talked to you both before the game, along with a few others. And I, and I told you guys, and while you guys were, you know, crapping on the Dolphins and saying their defense is terrible, they're going to get roasted, they're going to get smoked. <laughs> I, I, I sat there and said, y'all stay underrating the Dolphins defense. And y'all made fun of me, right? And I took it. I took it. And then you kept making fun of me in the first half. And then I said, just wait. And what happened, boys? What happened? You literally – you you literally made up that entire story. How do you remember yeah. any any part of that well, story actually happening in real life? Unfortunately, I was at work, so my phone was off. But that sounds like a fabricated story. And he said y'all a couple times, so I, I think he's full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah, have I have screen <laughs> I have screenshots to prove it. Okay, and right. send them out. If I need them. to release those, if I need to release those screenshots, I certainly will. But we're only going to do that last time. But while you were all making fun of me in our Twitter chat there that we have going on, I sat there and I didn't say a thing. And and you saw what the Dolphins did in the second half of the game. They shut down the Atlanta Falcons in the second half. Uh, they were helped by a few penalties. And they were also helped by some suspect play calling by Atlanta Falcons offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, it seems like the Falcons, when they get a lead – they don't know how to put the teams away and, and win the game, unfortunately, for, for the Falcons, but fortunately for the Dolphins. We will hope that they learn to do this when they play the uh, Patriots this coming Sunday night on Sunday Night Football. Because, listen, the Dolphins are right in the thick of things in the AFC East. They are 3-2. and two. The Patriots are 4-2. and two. The Buffalo Bills are right there in second place, and the Jets are right there on the bottom. But every team in the AFC East 
is over is, is 500 or better. And that, I think that's the crazy part. And I'm pretty sure they're the only division in the NFL that, that is like that. So, you know, you know, for us, for the Dolphins, everything they've gone through, it's just amazing that they're sitting there at three and two. It's amazing that they beat the Falcons. We're going to talk about the game. We're going to break down the game. But like I mentioned a few weeks ago, NFL coaches and players look at the season in quarters or quarters or quarters, whatever you guys want to say. Quad- quadrants? Quadrants? You, and you didn't get it right any of those tries. You, you, you <laughs> kept saying quarters. <laughs> that was a bunch of quarters. <laughs> yeah, so so quarters, okay. So they look at they look at the field in quarters or quadrants, like Sutton just proclaimed. Mm-hmm. They look at the season mm-hmm. in quarters. They look at the whole game as quarters: first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, right? So <laughs> the first quarter of the season, I feel like I'm John Madden right now. Um, the first quarter of the season, <laughs> they finished two and two, five hundred. Okay, we'll take it. Even though when the schedule first came out, everyone was going to go three three and one, four and zero. Oh not the case this quarter we're starting in i don't think anyone would have thought that they would start off this quarter one and oh playing against the falcons on the road in a brand new stadium when when the dolphins defense was supposed to be improving this year and the way the offense has been playing the past few weeks before we break down the position something i mean what what did the dolphins do differently it was pretty remarkable. Like the first drive, it was an eight and a half minute drive to start off a second half. I mean, when was the last time this this offense possessed the ball for even more than three minutes? It seems like so to have an eight and a half minute drive, and we converted several third downs on that drive, which we have not been able to string any type of those conversions earlier in the season. So to get Ajayi going to convert third downs it it felt like we were running to set up a pass there and I think we had some timely pass completions Um, like like I said the third down conversions were great we uh, you know it was a lengthy lengthy drive and those are a pretty deflating drive for an opposing defense to be on the field that long and then their offense turned around came went three and out we got the ball right back I mean that's when that's when the wheels really started turning for us and we felt the momentum swinging. And then really everything after that, it just seemed to fall into our favor. Like you said, I mean, it was, it's pretty remarkable. It's some of the penalties that went our way. Um, it was, it was a perfect storm finally that we had and what a, an important time for that to happen. Just enough to, to sneak out of Atlanta with a win there. That was uh, Great road win. Sorry about that. I was on mute and I thought I was talking. I was talking to myself there. Uh, House, take us through. Uh, it looks like House got disconnected there. So, sign it's me and you. And the, my question was for House. And and as I was sitting there talking to myself, I wanted <laughs> I wanted House to bring us through his emotions, all the quarters together. Uh, so I'm going to talk to you about my quarters, okay? And my okay. wife took my two kids to Six Flags on Sunday. She knows to do that and leave the house when there's football on Sundays. I have my five, six TVs going, right? I have some games okay. on. I have CBS, NBC, not NBC, CBS, Fox, Sunday Ticket, Red Zone, and then another game. Um, so, you know, I'm sitting here by myself downstairs in my basement, and 
I'm watching this game, and, and I make this proclamation before the game privately in the Twitter chat that the Dolphins' defense is going to hold their own. And I'm thinking that maybe the offense won't score, but the defense will be competitive and keep the Dolphins in the game. And then it starts happening. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I said that. I should have just cut my mouth shut. I shouldn't have said a damn word so I don't look like a fool. And then what happens? They get to halftime. The Dolphins can't do anything on offense. Their the defense is like Swiss cheese in the first half. Then they get to halftime. Or they're almost at halftime, and Jay Culler throws an interception. Yeah, that's Dolphins what I was going to say. That, yeah, that was, yeah that, that was a huge deflating moment right there when Cutler threw that interception. We thought we might get some points before the half. Uh, that, that was crushing. Yeah, so that, that was bad. So then they come out in the, in the third quarter. They, they take up a ton of possession time, drive down the field, score a touchdown. Then they force a three and out. And at that point, that was huge for the Dolphins. At that point, I'm thinking they just tired out the Falcons' defense, forced a three and out, a very quick three and out, put the Falcons' defense back on the field. Dolphins score a field goal. They, they continue to dominate the Falcons' defense. They, uh, then they score another field goal. And then, you know, just from there, what was it, two touchdowns? Yeah, touchdown, we went touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal. Touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal. Yeah. And, you know, they just kept just coming at them. And, and the Dolphins defense just coming up the Falcon. And then I'm sitting here at the end of the game, okay, I'm thinking, oh, my God. Jay Cutler, third down for the Dolphins, throws an incomplete pass. You can see Adam Gase was a little upset with him. Wanted him, obviously, if nothing was there, to just kneel down or run the ball and slide with it to keep the clock moving. Bring it down to the two-minute warning, at least, or force the Falcons to use another timeout. Incomplete pass. The clock stops with, like, 2.30 or so left. Gives the Falcons that much more time. Falcons still have two or three timeouts, I think it was. Maybe, yeah, they had two timeouts. Plenty of time to drive down the field. No one's worried about them running out of time. And then they're just going. And they're completing passes. And Lawrence Timmons almost intercepts it and he doesn't. And then the next play they get a first down and it just keeps going. And then you're like, all right, hold them to a field goal going into overtime. But then again, you're on the road, Miami, probably not going to win in overtime. So try to win the game here. Look for a big play. And then Matt Ryan, what we think completes a deep pass right short of the end zone. And I don't think anyone realized it was an interception until Rashad Jones just started running with it. At first I thought it was an incomplete and I got all excited about that. And then the announcer starts screaming that he intercepted it. And I'm just jumping on my sofa now, uh, punching my brick wall. I'm not realizing that it's a brick wall and just going absolutely nuts and insane. And, and, you know, my emotions went all over the place. And I'm sitting there in a third quarter. You know, I'm not going to tweet after the game. I'm going to let things calm down. And then that obviously went from uh, tweeting 10 seconds after the interception and continuing to tweet the rest of the night. So how, I mean, I just walked you through my emotions. What were your emotions while you were watching the game? Well, I was the poor guy that had to work, and I'm sitting there catering a baby shower. I got my Sunday ticket on my phone. And there you have it. Trying to, keep, <laughs> trying to keep up with the game. And then, I mean, I get home, and I tell my wife to pause it in the fourth quarter. So it's 14-17 when I get home. I, I get all my gear on. I run downstairs to watch the game. And, I mean, the whole time I'm sitting there watching it, you just kind of think Miami's going to blow it. There's no way this is real life. And then, like you said, that Rashad Jones interception, you couldn't even tell if it was picked. And 
when I realized it was, I realized the game was out of reach. I mean, I was running around the house, fist bumping, finally went on Twitter. I was probably that dude that was like a half hour, 45 minutes late tweeting out all these great things about the Dolphins. And, <laughs> I mean, it, it was just it was just wonderful. Like going into the game, I didn't think the Dolphins had a chance. I know we talked about it a bit, if they got the run game going, if they were able to pressure yeah. the quarterback. And I mean, they did all those things. And to just come out of it with a victory against the NFC champs last year, I mean, that was a huge win. And I mean, all year, I mean, we didn't think Miami was playing as well as they could be, and right now they're three and two with a pretty favorable schedule going forward. And you gotta, you gotta like the way it looks right now. Yeah, and you know, you look at the matchups that the Dolphins had against the Falcons, and not favorable too much. You look at Devontae Freeman and his track record, and he broke that long one early in the game. You got a two mm-hmm. with him coming to thinking how the Dolphins going to keep this up. Julio Jones you have there going up against Xavier Howard. And the Falcons were favored in a lot of matchups. And I know when we broke down this game, we said Cameron Wake was going to eat a bit. We said Indomitian Sue had a tough matchup. We said the offensive line had some tough matchups. But uh, they really came together. And I, I think I, I want to stay on this take. And I want to stay on the take that Chris Forster not being with the Dolphins this week had a huge impact in a positive way on the team. When you break everything down, right, when, when you look at this guy's life and that Andy Slater with the Slater scoop uh, released some text messages, and when you're in a situation like that, I mean, just think about being in that situation. Your whole life around you is crumbling down, right? You know you're going to be outed. It's just a matter of time. If that was me, the last thing I would be worried about is my job. I would be sitting there freaking out, stressing out, wondering what the heck is going to happen with my life and trying to do anything I can to make sure that doesn't get outed and then start thinking of contingency plans if it does. I mean, if my whole life was on the line, I'm not thinking about my job. And I'm pretty sure Chris Forrester wasn't really thinking about his either. Because I'll tell you, and we'll, like I said, we're going to go down on the matchups a little bit and break everything down. But I watched the entire, all 22 of the Titans game. And I broke down every single offensive play. And I tweeted every single offensive play. And there were tons of mental mistakes on the offensive line, that Titans game there were not very many mental mistakes against the Falcons. Guys were picking up their assignments. Guys were aware of where the blitzers were coming from. Guys knew what was happening. And, and the offensive line was opening up holes for J.H.I. I think it had a lot to do with Chris Forrester not being there. How do you agree or disagree? I do agree. I mean, we talked on it, like you said last week, we kind of thought that this could be the case considering he was the run game coordinator. And it just seemed like the entire run game as a whole was off. I mean, you got Jay Ajayi, huge part of the offense. He he just wasn't clicking in those first few games. And then to see him, the entire team almost as a whole come out and play in an entirely different ball, ball game as they have earlier in the year. I mean, Jay Ajayi, he, he was a monster. He, he put up 130 yards rushing, still hasn't found the end zone. But, I mean, you could just see that he was found his groove entire offensive as whole found their groove. And, I mean, uh, it, it, it's it's a shame to see what happened with Forrester, but, I mean, it this could be a blessing in disguise for the Dolphins because things just weren't going well those first few weeks. They just didn't seem to be clicking. And, and now the offense looks like an entirely different team, and it, it looks promising now. So I, I don't know if it was 
his sole responsibility, but he definitely had a huge say in it and a huge part in what happened those first few games. And to just see him leave and then to have the offense play the way they did, especially in the run game, uh, you definitely have to credit him for some of that. Oh, yeah, this was a much different game playing against Atlanta this time around. And as you alluded to, how it's with him being the run game coordinator, I was curious how this was going to all play out because if you're the Atlanta Falcons defensive coordinator and you look at how our passing game has functioned, we come into this game without Devontae Parker, the passing game has looked putrid. So if you're coming in with a game plan, you're stopping Jay Ajayi, right? And what did we do? We came out and we were very Jay Ajayi-centric with our game plan, and it worked. And you guys didn't even mention that Jake Brindle was in there for most of the second half replacing Mike Pouncey, and that's when we actually scored 20 points with him in the game. So not, not to – say that that's just a correlation not to say that Jake Brindle outplayed Mike Pouncey or anything let's not get ahead of ourselves but the offensive line definitely opened up lanes that JHI had not seen in very many games coming up to that point and you can see what JHI can do with just a few creases here and there I mean he was turning what would have been two yard runs into 18 yard runs just because he can get to the second level because then once he gets to the second level, he's such a big dude that linebackers have trouble bringing him down. And then certainly safeties uh, have an issue bringing him down. So when you can get Jay Ajayi going, you can see that it opened up play action. And then you saw play action starting to work. You started to see Kenny Stills get involved in the pass game. You saw a little bit more pass distribution with this pass offense because – we established AGI, and that was so important. So, to it's hard to say what uh, Chris Forster's, you know, his absence had uh, in our increased productivity going into that game. Um, it certainly, certainly uh, manifested itself in the way that you know this run game got established, and it was a beautiful thing. And to talk to us more about this run game and, and how it's all evolved and what the offensive line has been doing and how that all works together, joining us now is Ryan Smith from PFF Miami Pro Football Focus. Uh, Ryan, thank you for calling Finsider Radio. Yeah, no problem. How are you guys doing? We are doing very well tonight, coming off a huge win against the Atlanta Falcons. Ryan, we know PFF. It is a dividing force, it seems, between a lot of fans. It's a dividing force between front offices sometimes. We know that there are many front offices in the NFL who, who use it. We know there are others in the NFL who don't like it at all. So let's start at the beginning here before we jump into the Dolphins game and a few players. What We know what PFF is. We know what the grades are. But what goes in to grading these players, how long does it take for you to look through these films? Uh, I know that people think that it's just you look at it quickly, you take a few hours to look at it and make widespread assumptions, but really what does it take for you to grade an entire game of players? So so each game, um, no matter if it's preseason, regular season, Super Bowl, we have anywhere from 12 to 15 people, sometimes more, working on a game doing various things. Um, some guys will just be doing data collection where it's 
Um, how, how many yards was this? Who got the first tack, uh, contact tackle? Who recorded the tackle? Um, where was the target yard line? Stuff like that. We have other guys that are player participation. Um, who was on the field? What were their roles? Um, then we have analysis, guys that are breaking down the, the grades part of that. Um, and there's two copies for every game. So we have an A side and a B side. So what you do at the end of the game is you have A, B, and then a review. So games actually checked three to four different times for you get the grade that we come out with. So a lot of people have this misconception that, oh, it's just one guy's opinion looking at it. There's actually 15-plus guys on it, a game, every game, and everything's checked twice, checked three times, and it's there's just so much that goes into it. It's not just, you know, a couple guys working on a game at a time. There's a ton of behind-the-scenes work that goes into every game. That is very interesting because I was under the uh, perception, too, there was just a few guys. I remember when PFF comes out with or came out a few years ago with the uh, intern thing where you got to go on a trial run and, and grade games and see if you can muster it. And, you know, that was just by yourself. So, you know, Ryan, we get your stats and grades very early in the morning. How long does it take for you personally to grade an entire game? And, and how do you get the video afterwards? Do you record the games and then watch? Do you get special film access to different things because you're part of PFF? Um. Yeah, we all we are all on Game Pass. We have guys that are DVR in games. We have other various things. I, I can't really get too much into it, but um, right. we we have we have access to the film um, like we do like we all do on the Game Pass. And then we have different ways to review it afterwards. So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, as far as how we grade the games, um, everything is worked live where that's really changed over the last couple of years. When I first started with the company, um, we would work games, you know, if a game's played at 1 o'clock, we'd be working the games overnight that night, Sunday. But everything has become, you know, the push for everything to be live. So everything is being done in real time. We'll be, um, we'll be right behind the game, like a player or two, doing data. Um, and then we have a final review after all the data is done between comparing, you know, the two guys, the A, the A side and the B side, if they have any differences, which one was right. And that's the kind of comparison that we do to get the most accurate information out there. Really interesting stuff, Ryan. And, of course, Ryan Smith from PFF Miami joining us here on Finside Radio. Ryan, one more question before we get into the players. The PFF uh, Pro Football Focus has started individual team accounts this year, and this is how we've kind of been working together over the past several weeks. Can you just talk us through that new initiative? I know it's a great thing for the fans to really get individualized stats for their team right there on Twitter. Um, you know, what was what was that uh, thinking there for PFF to go that way? Um, well, we've been doing, like, like I, I work with you guys. We do, like, a media correspondent program where basically we give information to sources and they cite us. Um, we thought it would be a good idea to make each individual team have their own outlet. So when you're following the PFF account, this information for all 32 teams, there's, there's a ton going on. If you're looking for just Dolphins info or just, you know, Atlanta Falcons info, it's going to get jumbled in the mess. So now we have each team's uh, correspondent that controls the Twitter account and just tweets out various information throughout the week on their respective team. And it's, been a big hit so far it's only been a couple months in the work but it seems to be uh, going well 
Ryan, thanks for joining Pinsider Radio tonight. This is Sutton. I have a question about a particular play, and my background is in psychology, so I have a little insight into how data sets work and how you can kind of group things. So when I'm looking at Xavier Howard's grade, which was especially poor uh, graded by PFF, I'm looking at one particular play, and, you know, some of the data that we got back was he gave up 91 yards and a touchdown. I'm looking at that touchdown play that is attributed to him, and it looks like he's playing an outside technique, and his body language after the touchdown happened suggests to me that he was expecting some deep help from Nate Allen. Now, when you guys look into this tape, do you guys – ever have a discussion about possible miscommunications or communication breakdowns, things like that, that might um, mitigate some of the findings that you guys find? Right. So uh, plays that are miscommunication, communication breakdowns, that's all stuff that we consider. We go into it. We all, we all look at different zone coverages, schemes, that, that sort of thing. And we determined on that play, yeah, he's sitting there throwing his hands up in the air. But that doesn't mean that he's right. Like, you know, like he – just because that's what he thought, he, he was still in the wrong. That's not – that was his responsibility. So there are a lot of plays where the defender will sit there and throw his hands up. But that doesn't mean that he's in the right there. And, and in that play, um, everybody on the – out, everybody's playing man there, and he's just – he just wants to get over the top. That, that, that's just how um, – we interpreted that play. Ryan, Halps here. Appreciate all your hard work, man, and we're big fans of what you do. Uh, my question for you is this. Throughout all your study with the Dolphins, who would you consider the most impactful player on offense and then on defense? Um, I mean, offense, the, the only really bright spot is obviously Ajayi. Like, the guy's an absolute right. beast. Um even in the games where you'll sit there and say, oh, he had 40 yards or something, and you'll be like, oh, you know, he didn't really show up. But almost all the yards will be after he's getting hit. He's getting hit three yards behind the line of scrimmage, and then he's only gaining two yards. He did a lot with with nothing there, whereas a lot of guys would lose three or four yards on a carry. He's getting two. doesn't look great in the box score, but it, it's really a testament to how powerful of a runner he is. He, he's just – He's always up there in the yards after contact. This week he had 96 of 130. He put up 96 yards after contact consistently. He's in a class of his own when it comes to that, and he's forcing missed tackles. He's just he's doing everything for the for the team when the offensive line hasn't been very good, and that's why he's getting so many yards after contact. He's not running for 200 yards like he could be, like he was last year even. Um, on defense, obviously, you know, Stu and Wake, the usual suspects, then they're absolutely carrying the team. Um, but the linebackers, ever since Timmons comes back, he's been a top-ten linebacker for us. Um, I believe we have him fifth right now. He's only played – he's played less games, but he's making a difference in the middle. Um, and Kiko, he's had a couple of really standout games. The first couple of games were really poor, so it, it hasn't been as consistent. But um, the linebacker play has been a great spot. The defensive line in general, though, is just William Hayes is a guy that gets no love. I'm a big, a big fan of his, what he does in the run game. 
um, that play he had last week at the end where he dropped Coleman for an eight-yard loss. That was a game-changer. Falcons could have went down there, tied game, picked field goal, but that got Miami the ball back, got him the lead, and plays like that that he makes, I don't, I don't think, get enough credit around the league. Ryan, so I asked you about Xavier earlier. Let's go to the other boundary and let's talk about Cordrea Tankersley. And I think for a lot of Dolphins fans, that has been a very pleasant development for our secondary to have a young guy uh, to show his competitive competitiveness so so far, and especially with his first action coming against Drew Brees and just staying in there taking jabs, and it, it really seemed like they went away from him. Um, seeing how he played early in that game. Talk a little bit about how PFF has graded Tankersley so far. Um, okay, well, with the Saints game, when I went back and reviewed that game, I found out, um, you know, we all probably thought Breeze was going to attack him early. It's a rookie. It's his first career game. Um, when I went back, I thought, I looked at Breeze attacking five times on that first drive, and since then he's been targeted a total of 11 times. You're talking basically three full games, and he's been targeted 11 times, and he's a rookie. That's really standing out to us. Um, he's had a passive defense in every game. That means he's making plays. Um, he hasn't given up more than 41 yards in any game. Last week he allowed 13 yards in coverage. Just ridiculous. Like, he's, he's making <laughs> plays. He's really standing out in the secondary, and I don't think Maxwell's going to get his job back anytime soon. <laughs> All right, we're here joined by Ryan Smith of PFF Miami. Ryan, two more questions for you. One, just a real short uh, question for you. Just curious, how many hours a week do you spend watching games? Uh, well, we don't just do pro football. I, you know, we're doing college. We're doing various things too. So, just NFL or in general? In general, in general. Uh, anywhere from. 60 to 70, there's a lot, of, there's a lot that goes into it. <laughs> oh, my God. That is, that is insane. Don't have kids. <laughs> don't get married. Uh, just keep watching film for us. All right. Last question before we, let you, before we let you go. I put out a tweet the other day, right, and, and I got killed for it. All of a sudden, Dolphins Twitter is, are the biggest Xavier Howard fans out there. PFF has yeah, a great. I was, I was watching. Xavier. I was watching from afar. <laughs> yeah, it was an absolute disaster. So PFF has a grade on Xavier Howard, thirty-seven point four overall. That is one hundred eleventh out of one hundred fourteen qualifying cornerbacks or one sixteen qualifying cornerbacks. Irregardless, why is? I mean, if you look at the film against the Falcons, right? He didn't look too bad, but why is Xavier getting such low grades uh, throughout the season thus far? So with the grades, a lot of people just look at, all right, he's a cornerback. How many times did he give up a, a catch or something? But there's so much more that goes into every grade. Um, cornerbacks are responsible for stopping the run sometimes. You know, if he comes up and he's got the running back there and he grabs it and he, and he misses him and the running back gets 10 yards, that is going to negatively affect your grade. Um, a corner's job is not just to play coverage, you know. Um, another thing that really, really hurts Howard is the penalties. Um, in our yeah. system, if you, if if you're committing penalties, that's that's I would argue worse than allowing the catch because, say it's the third and twenty, and he could have allowed a ten yard catch and they would have punted the ball. If he gets a stupid defensive holding penalty, it's a first down. That's a killer. But in the in the books, it doesn't go as 
oh, he allowed this catch. So right. The weight, the weight on a penalty is even more so than a catch, and he makes a lot of he, he makes a lot of bad penalties. We have him for five already for this year, and the um that's top five for all cornerbacks in the league. And he didn't play week one, whereas most guys did. So that's a poor reflection on him there. The, uh, and of course, yeah, and of course, the penalty on Julio Jones uh, during that first drive there, the pass interference uh, towards the sideline there, which which kind of uh, prolonged the Falcons' drive in that first quarter right. there. The, all right, the, the Ryan Smith. Yeah, go ahead, finish right. up. I just wanted to finish uh, one more thing. So more Howard stuff. When I compare him to last year, um, obviously he was a rookie. He was battling the inj- like knee injuries. So I'm looking at some of the stuff right now. He's played roughly half the snaps as he did last year and already has more penalties. Um, huh, interesting. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big deal to us. Um, it's really saying he's just lazy in coverage, and it's just the, the, what, there's nothing you can do to reward a guy. He might come back and make a, a, a great play the next play, but if, if you're extending drives with bad penalties, because de- like defense is going to be an automatic first down, if you're doing that, that's that's killing your team. And if he can shore up that, it's really going to help his game. But if, if you're committing a penalty every week, it's it's going to be a poor reflection on your individual grade. All right. Thank you for the insight, Ryan. That is very good stuff. I know there's a lot of confusion out there on PFF, and a lot of people like to just look at the box score. Then there's the others who look at just the grade and then make assumptions on that. So it's really all – a different pieces of the puzzle all coming together to form one overall evaluation there. Ryan, uh, Ryan Smith from PFF Miami, please give them a follow at PFF, the uh, underscore Miami. Great information coming out of that account. Uh, really, really dedicated staff there. Ryan, thank you for calling into Finsider Radio. Take care, guys. All right. That is Ryan Smith, once again, from PFF Miami. How it's I know you are a big fan of PFF. Uh, what what is your takeaway from that conversation with Ryan? I, I just can't believe how much time and hours he spends watching football. I mean, I, I love football. I was born on Super Bowl Sunday. I'm a huge Dolphins fan, but I cannot watch that much football. I mean, I like I think you said it too. You, I get bored. I, I'd I'd lose my freaking mind. Like that's that's some that's a torture. That's torture right there. So I mean, props to all those guys. All the work they put into it. Um, but one of the things he said about Howard, I mean, if you look at his college tape, he was always handy. He always got called for pass interference, and it's kind of something that followed him to the pros. So I, I think what Ryan touched on there uh, was crucial. I mean, if he already has more penalties this season than they did last year, I mean, that that would explain that low PFF grade. And, I mean, like, you can't take those PFF grades as, as the standard. I mean, it's not the end-all, do-all, but at the end of the day, those guys put in the time, they put in the effort, and they, they do have some merit to them. And, so, and we know you are a big Xavier Howard fan, so now let's transition into that, right? I, I, I mentioned my tweet. Mm-hmm. I said, and, and it wasn't really calling Xavier a bust. I just asked, when is it time where we can start looking at him and saying, is it time to move on? And I know people are all harping on he shut down Julio Jones. And I know Adam Gaze has praised him in the media. Um, I could be off base here. I could be completely wrong. Um, and I'm not afraid to admit it. So 
Sutton, you are officially the cornerback and secondary guru of Insider Radio. So for those who, who aren't aware and you wouldn't be aware, we assigned uh, everyone's a guru now. So I am the quarterback. <laughs> quarterback. I'm the quarterback guru. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> That's exactly why he is. Houts is the running back, right, and linebacker guru. And Houts sure. is the uh, Sutton is a secondary and wide receiver guru. And then I have the offensive line with the quarterback. And we both, all of us, take the defensive line. Uh, so you really took a look at the secondary this week. Talk us, talk to us about Xavier Howard. Is he a bust? No, he's not a bust. It's too early to say he's a bust. But is he trending towards a bust, or is the PFF kind of just being too harsh on him? Well, one of the reasons that I asked Ryan my question and you know he talked about the body language at the end you know yeah some players throw their hands up and want to put the blame on somebody else just because the camera's on them but I also saw his outside technique funneling that wide receiver back in I think if he is in a straight man and that's what he thinks he's in at that moment I don't think he's in the position that he's in Um, so that's why I disagreed with the way they ranked that particular play. And then think about it. His grade is based on have given up 91 yards and a touchdown. If you take out 40 yards and a touchdown out of that data set, how does that affect his score? And then how does that affect the discussion that we're having? So that's why I, I personally believe that Xavier Howard played that, play pretty well. Now, he did make a good point about the penalties, and that shit needs to stop immediately. And I think we all agree with that because most of the penalties that happen in the secondary trigger first automatic first down. So you obviously don't want that, and prolonging drives is not something you want to do on defense. But Xavier Howard also, the on the first drive, the fourth play, jammed uh, – Gabriel at the line forces an incompletion. And then there's the pass interference uh, penalty. And when you looked at the Dolphins sideline, it looked like they were motioning that Julio pulled off or uh, I'm sorry, pushed off on Xavier. So I didn't get a good perspective on that from the perspective that I had when I watched the game, it looked like it was a justified pass interference. Um, But then you have Xavier Howard. He probably gets credit. Uh, on the second drive for having given up uh, a catch to Julio and he is draped all over him and it's just an elite catch by an elite wide receiver. And then the very next play, it's a designed, and you guys have seen this before. You see it more in the red zone, but you see it all over the field. These pick plays that are designed to get these drag routes opened up. And one of the plays that Julio gets, you know, 15, 18 yards, is on one of these pick plays that's designed against any cornerback out there. It's designed to get that person open. So I think that when you attribute certain stats to those types of plays that are just schemed well and done well, I don't think it was a lack of execution on Xavier Howard's part, then it makes him look worse than what he really is. And I just, I refuse to believe that there, every NFL team has three cornerbacks on their team better than him. Plus it's more like three and a half 
Like every NFL team has three and a half better cornerbacks on their team than Xavier and Howard. That just doesn't make much sense to me. So when, when you factor in the possibility that him giving up that touchdown was a shared responsibility with Nate Allen, at least if you share that blame or even shift it over to Nate Allen, because he jumped that outbreaking route when it looked like the linebackers had it covered. That's why I felt that Xavier played it well, because I don't think he would have expected Nate Allen to jump that out route when it was already covered by the linebackers. I think he felt like he was going to drop back. So when you, when you factor that into it, I don't know, man. I don't know that he's he's as bad. Now, the very last drive, he, he gave up three different catches to three different players. Um, but this is two-minute offense where Matt Ryan's getting the ball out of his hands really quickly. Um, so I just didn't see the negative grade that PFF gave. Like, did did he leave some plays on the field? Yes. But – I think he played a lot better than the 110th ranked NFL cornerback. So, and we're convinced Houts and I that Xavier is going to send you a Jersey in the mail this week for uh, promoting his play <laughs> and ability. <laughs> so Xavier Howard has a PFF grade of 37.4. And on the other side, Cordria Tankersley is really coming along around strong PFF grade of 76.6 one of the top young corners in the league when he was drafted, I tweeted at the time, tremendous value, best cornerback on the board at that time when the Dolphins picked him. And they really got a steal because he probably should have gone a bit earlier. Rashad Jones playing at an elite level at 80.6. Nate Allen really struggling, 39.6, jumped on several bites there on play action against the Falcons. Sutton, when you were looking at their film, what were, was your uh, analysis of, of those three other guys? And, of course, Bobby McCain as well with a 78 grade. Well, I, I thought the secondary in general, especially in the second half, they were barely tested, though. I mean, our our defensive line, and I, I think we'll get to that here in a little bit, but that defensive line was playing so well that the secondary didn't have to cover for very long, to be honest with you. So, in the second half, it's kind of hard to evaluate our secondary other than the huge play that Cordrea and Rashad made to seal the game. But there just weren't that many opportunities for the Atlanta offense because we had the ball most of the second half. But in the first half, it was a combination of timely passing for Atlanta. And then, again, that miscommunication, in my opinion, on that 40-yard touchdown early. And then – on that second scoring drive that Atlanta had, I think it was a combination of a few things because they targeted Austin Hooper quite a few times. So uh, they were getting some matchups that they liked, uh, but we were able to hold Julio to what was it? Maybe 75 yards, 70 yards, somewhere in there. Um, so to be able to limit that passing offense in their home, and to be able to we, – we held that potent rushing attack because they have two quality backs. Tevin Coleman, great. Uh, Devontae Freeman, great running back. That's a, that's a scary running back by committee right there. And we were able to hold them for the most part. We only gave up 18 rushing yards in the second half. 
So when we got things shored up on the rushing side of things, then we were able to get that pass rush after them. And then you see when we can pin our ears back and we put and we get in favorable uh, down and distance, man, we can we can wreak some havoc. Yeah, well, that's what this team was designed to do. Now let's move into the middle there at the linebacker position because everything just flows together, right? The defensive line impacts the linebackers, and that all impacts the secondary. So how's you been studying the linebackers this past week and will continue to do so moving forward? Ray Mauluga with a PFF grade of 73.2. Lawrence Timmons, an absolute beast, 85.4. Kiko Alonso coming on strong this year, really coming into his own at the weak side linebacker position with a 78.5 grade. What have you noticed uh, out of those three linebackers? And then when Timmons and Alonso go into coverage when the Dolphins are in their nickel defense, I think for me personally, Timmons has been a huge coverage we all knew he's a great run stopper but we all had our questions about him being in coverage what have you noticed from those three guys yeah you touched on it right there I mean coming into the season I think a lot of us thought middle linebacker that entire linebacking core as a whole was going to be a huge question mark and then with the injury to Raekwon uh we just weren't sure what we were going to see and then you bring in that Lawrence Timmons who like you said great against the run but who the hell knew he was this good in coverage? I mean, this guy's playing out of his mind. He might be one of the best linebackers in the league. I think PFF, I think lately he's been ranked up there, if not the best linebacker in the league. So, I mean, you just got these guys that are just playing out of their mind. They're they're working well together. You got Ray Malawi who's in there. He's, he, he's great against the run. And then when he comes out, you got Kiko, who, like you said, is really coming into his own. I know a lot of people might have been down on that trade when it first went down with Philly, but – I mean, he came here, and he's starting to make a name for himself. So that that linebacking core is a unit. I mean, they're just playing great football, and I think they have a lot to do with the way this defense is playing. They have a huge say in how this team ended up turning the defense around. I mean, we were ranked, what, 30th against the run last year, and I think we're top 10 in every statistical category. So, I mean, you really got to tip your hats off to them. They're making plays. They're trusting their instinct, and, I mean, they're just – they're just everywhere. You see some run plays, and they're just blowing it up in the backfield. If one guy gets there, you see – I know there's one play you saw, I think it was Willie, Willie Hayes. He got in the backfield, and you see Tim. He's already got the perfect angle. He's right behind him. I mean, these guys are flocking. They're playing great as a team, and it's all you can ask for. I mean, Lawrence Timmons, home run of a signing, and you just hope they continue to play this well because when you can stop yeah, the run, like Sutton said – that that was a two-headed monster that's one of the best in the league, and they had that big gain from Freeman, uh, but other than that, they were shut down. All right, looks like you got disconnected there for just a second, then you came back on, so I'm sorry if I sound like I was interrupting there. And then how it's, um, you know, that all, that all goes back to the defensive line. And in your study of linebackers, what did you notice there with the defensive line? Charles Harris's spin move is absolutely devastating. That was dirty. It was it was it was it was disgusting. How else are you there? Yeah. What well, what what was dirty? I did someone burp? I thought I heard someone burp. <laughs> <laughs> no. Charles no. Harris's we, spin move. Oh yeah, that was dirty, but I thought I heard someone burp right after that and you I just hear that was dirty, so I'm like, Okay, yeah, that that was filthy. It's kinda of what you expect from Charles Harris. <laughs> I mean I know when we no. draft in uh, all the all the gifs online, you just see him doing this spin move, and that everyone, oh, he's a one-trick, one-trick pony. That's all he could do, and he's just been playing out of his mind. So, I mean, Charles Harris, tip your hat off to him. But I, I swear, someone burped on this freaking phone. I, I heard it. Yeah, no, that's. I think that's your phone making noise again. But what I was saying, how is that in your study of linebackers, you obviously notice the defensive line they're going. So, what what stuck out to you 
against the Falcons there? Was it Cameron Wake? Was it a collective uh, group effort? Who really stuck out? Uh, I think it was a, the unit as a whole. We we said Cameron Wake was going to feast. He did just that. Willie Hayes, he's in the backfield every chance he gets. Jordan Phillips is coming on his own. Devon Godshaw, I mean, a, as an entire unit, that defensive line, that linebacker where they're playing as, as best of football as we've seen in years from them. So, I mean, I think it's a collective unit. Nadam Gensu, one of the best in the league. So, I think when you got that guy in the middle, everyone around him is going to continue to play better. And uh, and there with the secondary, of course, you again have to notice from them. Yo. Sutton, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. All right. Did you hear what I said? No, I did not. Okay. So stop playing with, with whatever you're doing. And um, so what I was saying is with the secondary, you have to evaluate the defensive line. What did you notice coming out from there? Oh, like I said earlier, in the second half, the secondary didn't have to hold their coverage for very long because Sue was getting there, Wake was getting there. They had some pretty creative blitz packages there where Rashad Jones was coming off the edge. They had Timmons coming off the edge at different times. So they were just so good getting – to Atlanta's offense in the second half, I mean, we just controlled second half time of possession. We just kept it going. So, but, but, but the first half, you would have liked to see a little bit better play from Nate Allen, in my opinion. And uh, Xavier Howard gave up a couple of, couple of passes in the first half, but not the major Cordrea Tankersley again, playing well. So the, the secondary definitely has a lot to thank for that defensive line with all the the different pressures, uh, blitzes, and sacks that they were able to get because it, it makes it easier on the secondary for sure. All right, let's jump over to the offensive side of the ball now, and I'll talk about quarterbacks and the offensive line because that just goes together. And the Dolphins did a ton of misdirection during the game against the Falcons. They also, again, I think they're listening to us, guys. I think they're listening to Finsider Radio Adam Gates sits in his office in Davie overlooking the practice field, and he has Block Talk Radio on and the Finsider.com loaded up on his computer. He clicks Finsider Radio Live Thread, takes a look at there, and then listens to the podcast, listens to MC Money, listens to Halcher Damas, listens to Sutton, the creepy soccer dad. And Adam Gates says, my God, these guys are really freaking smart. And he takes our advice because the Dolphins did an extraordinary amount of play action compared to what they've been doing the past few games. And also, guess what? Remember last week I said the Dolphins should really consider going back to their week one game plan against the Chargers where they had a short passes the entire game? There were very few routes in this game against the Falcons where the receivers ran more than 10 yards. It was all very quick. And so, again, Adam Gase listening to Finsider Radio, listening to MC Money, really uh, understands what it takes to win in this league, and that is by listening to the smartest three people out there in Dolphins Twitter. That is, of course, us. And if any of you think that I'm being serious right now and are going to tell me that I'm being ridiculous thinking Adam Gase listens to us, I'll agree with you because there's no chance (laughs) in hell Adam Gase listens to us. All right, Adam Gase probably doesn't even know who the hell we are, but we're going to sit here, we're going to pretend that we have an impact on the Dolphins, and, and that's just going to be... But wait, that. but wait, his nephew, his nephew does 
follow us on Twitter. Yes, so you never that is correct. Know. Never know. That is correct. So who knows? <laughs> who knows? All right. So here's <laughs> what I saw. I, I mentioned a lot of misdirection. I the Dolphins. Um, Jay Cutler. There was this one play where they ran several times where Jay Cutler would fake the handoff, roll to his right, and then throw the pass to the left side of the field. We know that that happened with the Jarvis Landry touchdown catch, but also uh, with the Jakeem Grant out there in the um, in the second half, I believe it was, where, where Jay yeah. Cutler faked the handoff, rolled to the right, Jakeem Grant ran a post route, and he would have been wide open towards the sideline, but he, he got held and there was defensive pass interference called on the Falcons, but that was a really nice play design. They used Jakeem Grant's speed. He would have juked that guy out of his shoes. He would have a nice sideline catch, and it would have been right there. So that was an interesting formation the Dolphins put into play, an interesting play design they had going on throughout the game. Jay Cutler did a great job in the pocket. He was very comfortable this game, it seems, in terms of pressure coming his way, staying in the pocket, climbing the pocket, moving around in the pocket, and getting the ball out. The problem with Jay Cutler is this, and he's always been like this, and it's frustrating as hell, but we were all warned about it when he signed with the Dolphins. We all knew about it, but it's his. sometimes he doesn't set his feet, and that's frustrating. And sometimes his body is wide open. You know, when you have a baseball player and they take a swing, you want their shoulders to stay tight. You want their body to stay tight. You don't want them to open up and be facing the pitcher when they finish their swing. Well, there were several plays there where Jay Cutler, when he was throwing the ball, his body was wide open, facing the defenders, complete, full view of it. And unfortunately, one of those plays was when he threw that interception in the first half. Julius Thomas, he would have been, he was wide open. He was streaking across the field. He had beat his guy. He was wide open, and it was going to be a big play. Jay Cutler, though, his body wide open, throws it down the field, throws it behind Julius Thomas, or not Julius Thomas, Leontay Carew. Yeah, Leontay um, Crew. I'm sorry. So Leontay Crew, I take that back. But that was an interception there. If, if Jay Cutler had just tightened up his body and, and that and gotten his shoulder pointed towards the target, that would have been a huge play there. However, he did the same exact thing. I think it was the exact same play almost, or a very similar play when he got Kenny Stills in the back of the end zone for their touchdown in the second half. Uh, he he climbed the pocket. He started scrambling, and he probably would have gotten close to the end zone. But, of course, quarterbacks want to throw. But, he again, he had his body wide open towards the defenders, but he got it there this time, threw it to Kenny Stills, touchdown at Miami Dolphins. I mentioned earlier the Dolphins had a lot less mental mistakes on the offensive line. Their play action really threw off the Atlanta Falcons. I will post some video on Twitter this week. But you could see guys freezing. You could see guys going at the running back during the play action. Really great design by Adam Gase and Clyde Christensen and the rest of the Dolphins' offensive staff. A lot of uh, unbalanced lines, a lot of two tight end sets there. They even had one play where there were five guys on one side of the line, two guys on the other. That's a total of seven, eight guys on the line, including the center. So really creative with their formations this game against the Falcons. They tried a lot of different things. I mentioned Jay Cutler looks more comfortable in the pocket. Anthony Fasano improved in his blocking this game. Kenny Stills still cannot block other defenders to save his life. The Dolphins only tried one or two screens this game, one or two wide receiver screens, thank God, because their receivers cannot block. Kenny Stills cannot block. It is just time to put that to bed. Jay Ajayi needs to work on his catching out of the backfield. He dropped several passes that could have gone for five to seven yards. But 
as a ball carrier, JHI makes guys miss. And it is not the offensive line per se that is really helping him out. He is making a ton of guys miss in the backfield. He is uh, jumping to the outside when he's supposed to go up the middle. And that's throwing a lot of defenders off. JHI is not a product of the system. Uh, the system is a product of JHI, if that makes any sense. I have no idea if that makes sense. But what I'm trying to say is JHI is his own man, and he would succeed and thrive anywhere in the NFL. Another interesting thing I noticed is Marquise Gray lined up as fullback several times throughout the game. And, and the thing about that, Marquise Gray isn't a, a great blocker, but it provides some power back there for Ajayi to get up behind him and run through there. I mentioned the wide receiver routes. They're, they weren't deep. They weren't running past 10 yards. Jay Cutler took a few shots here and there, but for the most part, they were getting the ball out quick of Jay Cutler's hands. And to have any success, in my opinion, moving forward, they need to do that. They need to establish a run game and play action. So those three things uh, will be keys to victory every week for the Miami Dolphins. So Dolphins offense improving. Jay Cutler still has some work to do. J.H.I. carried this team, obviously. Receivers now just need to start catching the ball. But, you know, it's really time for them to get going. And how's your your thoughts on J.H.I. and even uh, Damian Williams there a little bit in the game against the Falcons? Yeah, you touched on the offensive line, but I just want to say I'm going to piggyback what you, what you also said. The best playmaker on this offense, in my opinion, and pretty much everyone's opinion, is J.H.I. This offense is built around him. Uh, this team thrives with his success, and when he doesn't do well, I mean, that's that's the key to a loss. I mean, I think it's our good friend Eric Elizondo. I think he's tweeted a couple times now, the Dolphins are 9-0 when Ajayi rushes for 75 yards or more. So, I mean, he's the key. He's the nucleus for this offense, and without him, this, this team can't succeed. So, they just got to keep feeding Jay Ajayi. He's an incredible running back, powerful. He can make defenders miss. He, he somehow – wiggles into tight holes. He kind of like does that little Gumby thing or flubber when he's going down the chimney. He just always seems to be able to hit that hole and squeeze in there, and then he just trucks over players. So, J.J., keep feeding him. Great playmaker. And you touched on also Damian Williams. I mean, I know a lot of people are high on Kenyon Drake. They want to see him get some carries because he's a speedster. But I just feel like Gates trust Damian Williams. And you can see that trust there. And he, he runs with authority. He makes the plays in the passing game. And I think Gates really just needs to – in those passing situations, they need to use Damian Williams, and when it's time to run the football, it's JGI time, and the team will do just fine moving forward. Yeah, and and that all complements each other with with the whole off, offense. They get everyone going, and it really opens up the game for the wide receivers. And Sutton, you were you were looking at the wide receivers as well. What takeaways did you get? What's going on with the wide receivers? Why are they dropping so many balls? Are they getting open on their plays? Because I noticed a lot that Jay Cutler was throwing a lot of his guys open in terms of them being covered when he released the ball, but him putting the ball in a good spot for them to get it, and then thus looking as the perception that they were open the entire time. What did you notice? I noticed better separation this game, whether it was a result of the players or the way that the plays were drawn up. I just noticed that there were more plays to be had in general. Now, there were a couple plays where Cutler – had it seemed like he had kind of a predetermined read and it had he went to a second or third progression would have seen some more positive yardage but I'm sure that exists in every game what I have seen though unfortunately and like you said MC money we've had nine or ten drops in the last two games and that's not something that 
I think we would have expected coming into this year. So that's absolutely something that just has to get cleaned up because God forbid that's an important third down at the end of the game or an important touchdown to be had early in a game to create a lead for us. Uh, We just can't afford those drops and it's happened from Jarvis. It's happened from uh, Kenny Stills. Uh, You had talked about, Oh man, that play with Leontay Carew dragging across. If Jay Cutler just leads him, I mean, he, the ball because of the way it's thrown is thrown behind him. So if he's able to lead him to the sideline a little bit more, and he can still put it on a rope, but if you just put that more towards the sideline, then that's a possible touchdown—not just a big play, but a possible touchdown. So those are the. The subtleties of this game, though. I mean, these are we're we're talking about um, fractions of an angle of where a pass is released from, and so you'd like to see better execution. But you you certainly saw something to build on in that second half. So uh, going forward, you look at that second half as a good blueprint for what we need to do going forward, and that's a giant play action and we actually took a couple shots down the field this time. So that, I think that was important to loosen them up. And this was in the second half when we were in our comeback. So I think that's even a little bit more expressive considering the fact that we're down, but we're still taking shots down the field. So that loosens things up for Jarvis Landry in the middle. And then you saw Jarvis kind of take over in the second half a little bit, making huge plays for us. So when we go now, we'll take that, and we'll talk about this in the Jets game, but it's going to be important for all that to come together as the Dolphins move forward here and really start, you know, looking to make that playoff run. We'll get that more on that in just a second. For, I'm going to take this phone call now. You guys start going into the live thread and getting those questions ready, and we're going to welcome on uh, this caller, area code 209817. What is your name? What is your question? And what can we do for you tonight on Insider Radio? Hey guys, it's Josh from California. Just a couple quick Josh, questions. First, I go to. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, thanks for calling, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I'll go to you since you're the offensive line and quarterback guru. With uh, Jim Brendel <laughs> playing pretty well, is there any chance when Pouncey gets back that maybe he can compete for one of the guard spots? If they, I know they played better this week, but if they continue to underperform this year. And then I thought Cutler looked a little better this week. He actually moved up in the pocket trying to complete some passes and wasn't completing passes, you know, eight drops back or way back in the pocket. Um, so do you think he's getting a little bit more comfortable and trusting the offensive line, or do you think that those plays were just kind of random and happened to look okay? Yeah, so good question there, and I, I, you're right. I should have touched on Brendel there a little more. And what I noticed is, Pouncey was getting to the next level on his blocks. Uh, Brendel struggled a little bit. Brendel can hold his own at the point of attack, but in terms of getting, taking care of that blocker, taking care of that defender, then getting to the next level, that's where Brendel struggles a bit. I, I think we saw the offensive line gel together there in the second half because Brendel takes – almost all the snaps during the week, except on Wednesdays. Uh, so the offensive line is used to him. Cutler's used to him. It's not like some random dude just coming off the bench, coming in and just messing <laughs> everything up. They're all used to Brendel in there during practice. So I think that's why we saw such a seamless transition. 
Now, Brendel's a backup for a reason. I, I think as the season goes on, defenders will figure him out a little more once they get some more tape on him from this year. I mean, again, he can hold his own, but in terms of making that elite impact, in terms of getting to the next level, I think that's where he struggles. I don't think he's strong enough to get off those massive defensive tackles and get past them. Pouncey had the ability to do that. And, of course, Pouncey was a very, uh, very good pulling guard. So, you know, Pouncey's injury hurts in a sense. At the same time, it doesn't hurt as many people think it hurts, if that makes sense at all. All right, Josh, thank you for calling Finsider Radio. Hope to hear from you next time. All right, Houts and Sutton, what do we have going on in the live thread? Houts, what do we have? All right, the first question is from Redwood. He asked, from what I – Byron Maxwell was inactive for last Sunday's game against the Falcons. As Tankersley gets his first career start, Gates seems non-commental about whether Maxwell will play this coming Sunday. Is Maxwell still battling his foot and hamstring injuries, or is he in the doghouse due to his ineffective play? Let's throw that to the uh, cornerback guru. Certain. Oh, I – think that's really hard for us fans to be able to figure out because we're not in the locker room so there well, you're the guru. there's any <laughs> yeah there's any number of ways you can kind of spin this news even if he is in the doghouse you could say he's injured and you could say he's injured and you want to hide that and you want to say he's in the doghouse so it's it's really hard to figure out um what's going on with Byron Maxwell uh in particular but in terms of the product of the on the field and what I've seen from Tankersley and what I've seen out of the secondary, I'm not necessarily in a rush for Maxwell to get out there in the first place. And not to mention his contract going into next year, it looks like he's in his last year in Miami. All right. What else do we have there on the Finsider Radio live thread? So we got 39 as number one. He's asking about Ted Larson. And, you know, he's eligible to start practicing this week. Any news on him? Do we get him back after week eight or after game eight, week nine? From what I know or from what I've heard, I believe we have him for week nine as the first week that we have him as a possibility. In terms of what the Dolphins actually do, I don't know. You've seen Anthony Steen and and Jesse Davis kind of rotate earlier in the year. I don't. I haven't honestly um, seen how that shaked out the last couple games, if they've continued to do that or if they've just kept Steen in. But for someone that was considered the starting guard going into the preseason, it will be very interesting to see how they work him into the reps early. And if he ends up getting into a timeshare, takes over the starting gig entirely, or if he ends up being a backup role player. Yeah, Ted Larson is uh, eligible to come back in week nine to answer your previous question there. All right, anything else there on the Finsider Radio live thread? Yeah, there's one from Jersey Finn Fanny asks, is Drake injured or something? Had some exciting runs last year and surprised he has not stood out in the offense this year. He also said, loving our linebacking crew. Uh, the linebacker we got from the Saints, is he going to surface at some point? Uh, Drake, I don't think he's injured. I know he's kind of been injured throughout his career, but I don't think he's currently injured. I just think that Gase has more trust in Damian Williams and sees him as a better fit as far as a run blocker and in the passing game. Um, I would like to see him get some reps out there. I know he's a big play threat every time he touches the football, so that's a guy you kind of want in there every now and then. Uh, as far as Stefan Anthony, uh, the trade, I think a lot of us kind of like saw it as a low risk or a 
yeah, low risk, high reward type deal. But uh, I'm not sure he's going to see the field with the way these linebackers are playing. Maybe on special teams and every now and then to spell out some of these guys. But it just seems like Malawaga, Alonzo, and Timmons are solidified in their roles. So I'm not sure we're going to see much of Anthony as a, a starting linebacker this season. Yeah, he's been in the inactive for a little bit, unfortunately. But just to go back about the Kenyon Drake thing, Adam Gase actually said today in his press conference that Kenyon Drake needs to stop doing, uh, stop looking at the home run every time he touches the ball. Like you said, how he has big play potential, and Kenyon Drake feels like he has that big play potential, and of course he does. But Adam Gase said right now he's not doing the little things right. He's not just getting the four to six yards. He's trying to get the home run every time he touches the ball. And Adam Gase does not want uh, Kenya Drake to do that. So until he learns, then that's just going to be the issue there with Drake uh, until further notice. Anything else there in the Finsider Radio live thread? That looks like it's been covered. All right, we're going to jump over to Finsider Radio on Twitter. Let's see, we got a few questions uh, from Dolphin Mike. One, he has two questions. Do you guys think the media bias towards Cutler and the Finns will ever end? Nope. It will not until the Dolphins win a playoff game, until Jay Cutler leads the Dolphins to the playoffs. I mean, the, the media bias towards Jay Cutler, he doesn't deserve to have any praise thrown on him right now. He had one good half, one good game, started turning things around, still didn't have an excellent game. When he does this uh, consistently over the next few weeks, then I think people can start talking about how he's maybe revived his career. In terms of the other question, he says, X shut down Julio last week. How many games must he play like this before the perception changes? Uh, don't look at the box score, Mike. We talked about this earlier. And for everyone else out there, don't just look at the stats. Look at the entire picture there. All right. One other question I think we got. We actually got several questions. We're only going to take one more once I find it. Uh, JT Seymour asks, do the Dolphins have the best defensive line in the NFL? I think they'll smoke Brady like a cigarette in a Cutler meme. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I good. like that. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, uh, the Dolphins do have one of the best defensive lines in the NFL. The best, I'm not sure, but yes, definitely one of the best. All right, boys, we're, we're nearing the show here, so let's take a real quick look at the Jets game. Okay, the Dolphins got pummeled last time they went up to MetLife, and you were there, unfortunately, for you. And House and I couldn't make it because we actually care about our family and, and want to stay home with them while you go off and gallivant. <laughs> what, what a shame. <laughs> you guys are <laughs> shame looking back on it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But, you know, from my study with the Jets, looking at it, here, here's, the, here's the lowdown on Josh McCown. Underrated quarterback. Um, he's not a franchise quarterback, obviously. Otherwise, he wouldn't be jumping around from team to team. But he's an underrated quarterback in terms that he's going to stay in the pocket. He, he can scramble. He can kill you in the air. And, and, yes, you're saying, oh, that's Josh McCown. Who cares about him? But, listen, it's the NFL, boys. Everyone is good in the NFL, and, and everyone has potential. And, and the NFL, we should all know by now, it is week to week, and there is no easy week. Uh, he will stay in the pocket. He is, his eyes are always downfield. He's always looking for the big play first, the check down next. He is also someone who's going to stand there and, and take the hits when he needs to. He's going to get. He's going to wait until the last second to throw that ball so he can make the play. Lots of play action from the Jets on the offensive side of the ball. It's going to be up to the Dolphins to stay disciplined on the defensive side of the ball in order to minimize the amount of big plays the Jets pull off. 
I'm not worried about Matt Forte. I think he's lost a lot in his tank. The Dolphins can shut it down. I'm a little worried about Bilal Powell if he comes back. Reports right now is that he may not be back for Sunday's game, but he is a very physical runner, someone who could wear down the Dolphins' defense if it gets to that. But let's just hope that he's out for another week. And then it's the Matt Forte and Elijah McGuire show. McGuire is fast, but I don't think he la- I don't think he has a talent right now to be dominant against a defense like the Dolphins. How's for you looking at the Jets-Patriots game, looking at previous Jets games? What sticks out to you from the Jets? Uh, I, th- I think the biggest thing is just that they're playing a hell of a lot better than a lot of us gave them credit for. I'm, I'm just yeah. touched on it. Uh, Matt Forte, he's old. He's almost a fossil. If Bilal Powell's out, that'd be wonderful because <laughs> he's a solid running back. And Elijah McGuire, he's, he's done something. But, I mean, that first game, we didn't have a problem stopping the run. I know they scored a touchdown, and Bilal Powell, I believe, had one. But uh, Miami's run defense, that defense in general, I don't see those running backs as that big of a threat if they can come out and just do what they've been doing these last few weeks. How about you, son? Uh, what have that... you seen from the Jets? Yeah, ironically enough, and I was at MetLife, the, the ground game is what beat our ass, to be honest with you. And I think that was our, that was our worst run performance of the entire year. And I don't have the stats in front of me, but I can almost tell you that was the worst one. Because like 71 yards and a touchdown. Wall Powell averaged 2.5 yards per carry. Elijah McGuire had 4.9. How about the team as a whole? Let me how check. Many, how many running yards did they have? Because Atlanta had like 100. They, yeah, they totaled about 100, the Jets. It looks like it's uh, – What's that, 71, 96? Yeah, 103, 103 yards rushing. Yeah, so that that was our worst rushing performance of the year right there. And that's what allowed the Jets' offense to kind of sustain itself because they were able to establish a ground game, and they did play action, and they got that long play uh, in the first half on a third down play. And so that was soul crushing right there. So if we can make them one dimensional, that's really the only game, in my opinion, that we haven't been able to make a team one dimensional because even in Atlanta, when they had 82 yards in the first half, we completely shut them down in the second half. We completely shut down the run game. So if we can make the Jets one-dimensional, then that absolutely goes in our favor because we've already talked about our defensive line. We can get after people. So if we can stop the run early, that's going to be huge. Yeah, so let's just look at some PFF grades for the Jets game before we wrap things up here. The the biggest weakness I see in their defense right now is their linebacker, Darren Lee, and overall PFF grade – of 31.9. He is their um, right inside linebacker. Again, the Jets playing a 3-4 defense in their base. When they go into the nickel, they looks like they go into uh, two defensive linemen and then uh, two linebackers on the side, so a modified uh, front there where you got the nickel, of course, the nickel corner. You got the right outside linebacker on the line. You got the right end, left end in the middle there. You got the left outside linebacker on the other side of the line. And you got the two linebackers behind them. So it's still four linebackers, only two defensive linemen there when they go in the nickel. So maybe, you know, uh, uh, for the Jets, for the, for the Dolphins, I should say, they might want to uh, think about going into the nickel or not nickel, but bringing out the three wide receivers to force them into the nickel. 
I think that can open up some room for Jay Ajayi there. Uh, Jamal Adams, I think he's a good player. He's, he's dipped a little bit. He has an overall grade of 63.4. That tends to happen to rookies halfway through the season, roughly, when teams start getting tape on them and figuring them out. Surprisingly, Muhammad Wilkerson, 46.5, but his play has been trending downwards over the past several years. Their offensive line is a hot mess. They have guys uh, all over the line in red. Left guard Carpenter, 49.1. Their center, Wesley Johnson, at at 34.7. Their right guard, Brian Winters, at 45.8. Their right tackle, 72. Brandon Shell at 44.9. Left tackle, Kelvin Beecham, is playing really uh, decently, 76.8 there. Their one person you need to watch out for is their tight end, Austin Safarian Jenkins really has turned his game around and is starting to come back a little bit. Nice little story there for him personally. Uh, we know the Dolphins have trouble covering tight ends, but hey, Lawrence Simmons is there. So I think he's going to be covering him at most of the game. We'll see if Lawrence Simmons can keep it up. Their wide receivers, I said last game, there's nothing to write home about, but <laughs> their wide receivers kind of burned the Dolphins last time. So I'm not going to talk too much. Their cornerbacks are playing pretty well. It's going to be a tough game. It's a, it's a division game. I made the mistake last time of saying that this was a very easy game. We all know from the experience of the Dolphins and past opponents, any division game is a tough game, regardless of your record. The Dolphins have been 2-14, and 2-13, and I should say, 2-12, and 12, and have beaten the Patriots, right? Uh, and you've seen it all over the NFL, the Rams, when yeah. they were terrible, going out there and beating the Seahawks when they all thought the Seahawks were unstoppable. It's a division game. The Dolphins have the advantage because they're at home. The Dolphins do have the momentum on their side. But, again, I think it's going to be a game where it's a slugfest and the Dolphins will need to pull away in the second half like they've done in their last two victories. Any final thoughts from you, Sutton, and House? No, I, I, think, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fight on Sunday because we know the Jets aren't going to come in and, and lay down because I, I, I saw it firsthand, Matt Life. I saw a <laughs> – a t- more talented roster go in and get completely crushed. So we yeah. know it's not about what's going on on paper. It's going to be who comes in with that chip on their shoulder. And the Jets had that week three against us. Are we going to have that going into this game, knowing that we could possibly go 0-2 against the Jets this year? We need to get our revenge, and I think the players know it. Yep. How about you, House? Any last thoughts there? Yeah, I think it's funny because I remember back when we first made the prediction, I came out and said it could be a track game, and then you both said there was no chance, and then I ended up pussing out and saying, yeah, they were going to whoop their ass. But now I think we all kind of realize <laughs> the Jets, they're a, pretty, they're a pretty good football team. So I think, like you said, division matchups, they can go either way. I just hope that this team, uh, we're 3-2 and two now, I just hope they can go and take care of business. Like Sutton said, it's the more talented team. So you hope they can go out there and then get this victory, no matter how ugly it might be. All right. That is going to do it here on Finsider Radio. We thank you for joining us here this week. We have a big game against the Jets. Division game, the Dolphins need to keep the momentum rolling and get that victory uh, versus the Jets on Sunday as they host them at Hard Rock Stadium. For certain, the creepy soccer dad and Houcher Domus, I am MC Money. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. we
Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations. Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.